Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's episode is monitored by Garmin. If you're sick of charging your fitness smartwatch every night, Garmin gives you up to 11 days of battery life on a single charge. So if you want a smartwatch that stays on your wrist and not on your charger, head to garmin.com.au to find out more and use my code LEANNE10 on any venue SQ2 for a limited time only. Now here's our podcast. Robin Johnson is a dietitian, nutritionist, and a functional medicine skin expert. Her passion of using food and lifestyle as medicine bound her personal battle and triumph with psoriasis. She specializes in helping women address the root cause of skin and hormonal struggles and believes that you deserve to feel good in your skin all month long. Robin runs a virtual private practice and is a creator of the Clear Skin Lab, an online acne program. She also recently launched a hydration powder called Ravi to help make mineral intake easier for everyone. In today's episode, we talk about pimples and acne, the different types of acne, face mapping, nutrition and acne, dairy and acne, mineral cocktails, and vitamin A. So grab a pen and paper and let's dive into today's episode with Robin. Well, Robin, welcome to the podcast today. We're very excited to have you on. Thanks for having me. And I must say, I've been looking for an expert in skin health. And when I came across your Instagram a few months ago, I was very excited. So thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, I mean, I'm always down to get nerdy and talk about skin and minerals and all the things. Amazing. And how did you get into this space? Because it's quite a niche area in terms of dietetics. Is it something that you yourself have struggled with or you just saw a huge demand for it? You know that it was a personal struggle. So I got psoriasis when I was in college, which is a, if you don't know what that is, it's a full body or I had a full body version that was like covered in spots. So it looks like I had chicken pox at age 20. And I, like most people who have that was really confused. I didn't know what was happening. I went to multiple dermatologists and long story short, after two years of medications and prednisone and being told I needed an an immunosuppressant drug, I was frustrated and I just wanted to try something different. So I dug into root cause, like what could, what's the cause of this? What can my nutrition do? And I've been psoriasis free for almost 10 years now. So it was my personal story that got me into a functional medicine approach or root cause approach. And since then I've just attracted more skin people, I think because of that story and I've developed a passion for it. So we do work with psoriasis. I do work with eczema I work with a lot of acne and any skin condition is obviously physical, but it's also quite emotional and mental. So I I really understand our clients because I've been there and I get what that feels like. Mm, And it is frustrating because I suffer from acne. I wouldn't say it's severe. I'm sorry, not acne, eczema. I wouldn't say it's severe, but it is something that flares up depending on the weather or the environment, particularly within my joints, like my elbow joints are under my knee. And then of course, I think like most 30 year olds, I still get the occasional pimples or I get a bad breakout around a time of month or something like that. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? I'm 
30 something, how am I still having pimples? Yeah. It is quite common though, isn't it? Like I, I was always of the, um, you know, uh, the thought process that, you know, once you hit 25, they would just magically disappear and you'd never have another pimple. Yeah. I mean, it is quite normal with acne specifically about 50 million people per year deal with it. Wow. And when we're talking about, you know, thirties and forties, it's about 15% of women specifically deal with acne in thirties and forties. Of course, it's much more common in teenage years for men and women and even in the young 20s, but even adults get it. And you said a phrase that I hear all the time, like, what's going on? So when you start to get these skin flares, whether it's eczema or acne, we just want an answer as to why it's happening. And unfortunately, there's so many possible answers that it gets overwhelming, which is where we come in, because that's what we're digging for is what's the cause for you specifically. Mm, And it must be so frustrating for someone who does suffer with something like adult acne to just be told something like, oh, it's just something that happens. Or unfortunately, it's just something that happens to you. You know, it is nice to know, oh, there are root causes or there are perhaps particular reasons why you may have developed this, particularly if you're not someone that suffered with acne through your teens, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're told these are just the cards you're dealt and there's nothing you can do, it makes you feel hopeless and somewhat like a victim when that's not the truth. The truth is your body has the ability to heal and the skin flares of any sort are a symptom. It's the body's getting your attention and so you have the opportunity to say, hey, what, do you, what, is the, what does my body need? Why is it doing this? And there's so much you can do, which is really exciting. And it gives people hope back because it, it's not something that they're destined to deal with. Mm, 100%. And now I'd like to kind of continue going down the acne route, because as you said, there's a lot of different skin conditions, and I'm sure we could spend hours chatting together, mm-hmm. but I'm conscious and very appreciative of your time. So I want to sort of just head down the acne route for now, because I know it is something that so many adults struggle with. So to take us back to basics, are there different types of acne? And like, I know I've been reading a little bit in terms of, you know, you might have this type compared to this or this type because of this. So can you sort of break it down for our listeners and let us know the different sort of types um, of acne? Yeah. So from the way we look at it is we're looking at it from a type of what's causing it. So the way a dermatologist might type it is different than the way that our team looks at it. So we're looking at, is it hormonally driven? Is it inflammation driven? And these are the types, hormone, inflammatory. Is it stress driven? Is it infection driven? Maybe that's an infection in the gut or an infection on the skin. Or is it irritation driven, like a an allergy to an ingredient or something like that? Mm. So we're not necessarily typing what type of pimple it appears to be, but rather what is causing it, because that is going to impact the action steps that you take to make it go away. Interesting. And in your experience and with what your team works with, what's the largest type um, of acne that you see, I I would say, adults struggling with? Largest one is going to be hormonal. Hormonal. For sure. And especially women. Now, the tricky part is you can have more than one. Mm -hmm. So the more severe cases usually have a combination of hormonal and inflammation and possibly infection. And that's where things get complicated and people typically go down the the route of antibiotics and spironolactone and birth control and maybe even Accutane. And then they're still stuck. Like, why is nothing working long term? And it's because there's multiple factors triggering acne. And the reason those hormones are off or the infection is happening or the reason you have inflammation, the root cause isn't being addressed. And so 
you'll kind of continue through a cycle. Mm, So interesting when you think about that, isn't it? That they can actually overlap. Mm -hmm. So one thing you might be doing could help, but then you're like, oh, but it's still there. Like it's getting better, but it's not completely fixed. And it's because you've got these overlapping of different areas. Yeah. And it, and it, that does get really frustrating, but I also want to emphasize that that's something that can be addressed. It's just, you need the information because if you don't know that you have these multiple factors, then you don't even know that you might be missing something. Now, I wanted to ask you, and this is something before my wedding, I was doing a lot of intensive, um, you know, skin sessions with my um, skin technician, plus also my dermatologist. And I must say, I had the best skin of my life before my wedding a few years ago, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, not so great now because I've sort of, a lot of the things I was doing have fallen by the wayside. I've got a little baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was saying something like, you know, the hormonal acne, like if it's coming through on the chin or if it's something in the T-zone. So I just wanted to ask you in terms of, it's, she called it face mapping for acne. Yeah. Like is face mapping a way? you have that acne or where you have those breakouts is that a thing like is there any science or you know an evidence base to that or is it just a little bit of kind of you know woo-woo science that we like to to use because it sounds a bit fun (laughs) a good question and it's I have a love-hate relationship with this face map topic because it's very popular and I get it it helps someone make sense of their situation there's no good evidence behind it however Anybody who works with acne consistently knows there's a pattern. Mm -hmm. I mean, we absolutely see consistency with acne on the chin or jawline being more related to hormones. I would say 95% of the time when we see someone with chest, shoulder, back acne, it's gut related. So there are definitely patterns, but there's no good research on it because there's probably not going to be. That's not Mm -hmm. where the researchers are going to spend their money. So I can see why it's consistently talked about. And we definitely consider that, but we're not going to put all of our eggs in a, in one basket just because it's on a certain area of the face. We're still going to look at the big picture. Yeah, interesting. And talking about that big picture, obviously nutrition and lifestyle falls under that. So being a nutrition and health related podcast, how can nutrition, I guess, help or hinder somebody who suffers with acne? Oh, it's a huge part of it. I mean, our like I said, our skin reacting is a symptom of something deeper and nutrition affects everything in our body. Our nutrition affects the way our cells work. So if we look at hormones, we have nutrients and minerals that impact the way that our hormones signal and the way that we make them. We have nutrients that impact our stress signals. We have nutrients that impact the gut bacteria which then impacts the bacteria on the skin. So it touches every angle of of the skin, not to mention that nutrients like vitamin A in a food source are incredibly important for healing and skin turnover. So it's essential (laughs) to focus on nutrition when you're looking to heal acne from the inside out. Love it. And then a big one, which I'm sure you get asked about probably on a daily basis, is really around dairy and skin health because yeah. I've looked into the research quite a lot and I must say it's pretty conflicting. You know, some of the science really shows us, yes, you should minimize dairy. Other science is like dairy is definitely not inflammatory. It can be really helpful for skin health. What's your stance on this or what do you feel like the research is pointing more towards when we look at things like dairy and skin health? Good question. And you're right. The research is all over the place. <laughs> and even... Even the reason as to why some people react to dairy, the the reason in the science is somewhat conflicting. So there are there are studies that look at the hormone relationship of dairy, and 
the uh, one specific study I'm thinking about showed that skim milk was more linked to acne than whole milk, which if we're talking about what most people say is dairy triggers the hormones in for hormonal acne, but that wouldn't make sense because then you would be seeing it more in whole milk. So there's some just big mechanism question marks that are unclear and they're not consistent. And so this is where we come back to that conversation of acne types, because if someone has inflammatory or infection acne, they might tolerate dairy just fine. Mm -hmm. If someone has hormonal acne and they're sensitive to dairy, that can make more sense. There's also a topic that's not discussed a lot, which is the fluoride trigger with acne and skim milk most of the time would have more fluoride. So there's just a bunch of details within the acne subject that are so individualized. Truly, you have to see and try it for yourself. If someone is going to do a dairy elimination, we suggest don't going don't do it beyond 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. If you don't see an improvement within that time, it's probably not related to dairy. Mm-hmm. So don't spend two years of your time missing out on some of the nutrition benefits of dairy. Yeah, it really just is going to be something that someone has to experiment for themselves and see. Mm -hmm. And would you suggest if there was a listener at home saying, oh, I think, you know, dairy may be triggering my acne, would you just go completely dairy free or would you just try swapping from, say, potentially skim or what we call in Australia, low fat or trim to just the full cream type of dairy? Would you do that first or would you just go eliminate it all and see if it makes a difference? It would be a phase. So I would say take it out for a few weeks until your skin calms down and then intentionally experiment with different types of dairy. Mm. So here in the US, we have you know, raw dairy, we have um, dairy with a bunch of additives, we have skim, we have whole milk. So I would suggest they experiment with different types and experiment with milk versus cheese versus yogurt because the skin might respond just fine to certain types, but then not handle, like we said, skim milk very well. Mm -hmm. The other part of this conversation is the healthier that your gut is, the better you can tolerate foods like dairy. So sometimes it's not the food, but it's the environment that the food is landing in. And that's the problem. So there are situations where once you've done some work on the digestive system, then you can bring back foods that you once thought were triggering with no problem. My ultimate goal with people is to be able to have the widest diet possible. And if we can get people tolerating dairy, I think it's a perfectly healthy food, which offers a lot of nutritional benefits. So if if we can get someone to tolerate it, that's a win in my book. Yeah, definitely. And what about the link with sort of organic dairy versus non-organic dairy? I know organic dairy, particularly in the States where you are, is like it's huge. Whereas in Australia, I would say very small percentages of my clients would have organic dairy. But I must say, I do believe that dairy in Australia is some of the best in the world. We don't really add hormones and antibiotics into our dairy. We have a very strict, I guess, policy with the farmers and what actually comes to market. They're very, very strict. So I'd say we have very good quality dairy here, which is why a lot of people don't actually go towards organic dairy. But if you were living somewhere overseas where there was a lot of hormones, there was a lot of antibiotics in things like milk, would you you be recommending organic dairy from a skin perspective? As you mentioned, it's more about the quality. So in fact, a lot of people from the US prefer to buy dairy and cheeses and stuff from New Zealand mm. because of the, the better quality. So 
in your in in Australia, I wouldn't necessarily say organic would be as big of a priority. Where in the U.S., trying to find dairy that's minimally processed is ideal, or dairy that doesn't have a ton of additives. Which in our food industry, there's just a ton of stuff that's get snuck into that ingredient label. Yeah, great point. All right, well, you've mentioned minerals a couple of times, and I will say that you're the mineral queen on Instagram. And I must say, I don't know a whole lot about it, so I would love for you to share with our listeners. What are minerals, like what you consider minerals to be and why they're important from a skin perspective? Yeah, minerals are really raw materials in foods. So some examples are sodium, calcium, selenium. These are things that are are naturally in our soil and therefore in the food that's grown in that soil. However, if the soil isn't super nutrient dense, then that food is going to lack. Well, we humans, don't make minerals. So we have to get them through food or water. And in the body, minerals, I kind of describe it like they they act like a spark plug in the car. They're what allow the cell to work. So if we think about let's let's use thyroid for example. In order for our thyroid hormone to kind of turn on or do its job, we have to have minerals like potassium. So coming back to the soil, if we're not eating good food or the food isn't grown in in nutrient-dense soil, our body is going to suffer the consequences because we literally can't survive without these. They are essential to human survival. So they're very important. And in today's world, we burn through a lot of minerals primarily due to stress. And then depending on our food quality, we're not getting repletion very well. And Skin is one way that that can show up, but there's fatigue, digestive issues, lots of different hormone issues. I mean, one of the biggest things that people notice is sleep improves and energy improves when they start focusing on minerals. Mm -hmm. And the blood tests to sort of show us, like, are we going to see the benefits of adding minerals into our diet if we're deficient? Or you think that you don't even need a deficiency? Because I remember reading something you posted about sodium, saying you don't necessarily have to be low in sodium to benefit from the extra salt. So are you recommending that people sort of go and get some blood tests to see deficiencies within things like vitamins and minerals in their body? Or you recommend that most people are just going to benefit from it anyway? way, considering, I mean, America is much like Australia, 60% of the population is sort of overweight and obese and doesn't have a great quality diet. Well, first I'll say with blood tests, when we're talking about minerals, blood tests are going to show a very acute situation. And that's great for emergencies. I mean, we want a doctor testing sodium, potassium before giving IVs and stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's a very acute situation. When I talk about getting minerals For the general population, I'm meaning via food, and I personally believe, yes, most people can benefit from intentionally adding minerals to their day. The one situation in which I would say tread lightly is if you someone has active heart disease or heart failure or active kidney disease, you want to be mindful of adding high amounts of something like sodium and potassium because your system's very sensitive and and doesn't process things quite optimally. But generally speaking, most healthy people definitely have room for some mineral mocktails in their life. And especially individuals who are quite healthy, they take good care of themselves. They don't eat a ton of processed food. I actually find most people would benefit and feel better from adding more sodium to their food, even to their water, because there's a whole rabbit hole of where that 
the sodium recommendations come from. And and it is a mineral. We do need that sodium in our diet. Mm. And I'm not really concerned with, you know, my clients say to me, oh, you didn't add, say, like salt or pepper into my my recipe. Could I add it? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. As long as you're, you know, a healthy fit adult, I'm not too concerned with that. And I know you've talked about that on the podcast before. Why would healthy adults need more sodium? I mean, I can clearly think of situations where if you're an ultra marathon runner and you're sweating a lot or you're out in the hot sun all day, but why would the average healthy adult benefit from more salt when we've always been told the opposite to eat less, particularly for things like our blood pressure and our heart. Yeah, that's a good one. And that's the reason most people are scared of it, right? Is because we've always been told, it's been ingrained in the media and in our brains forever that sodium is harmful. Sodium causes heart disease. And if you dig into where that messaging came from, it's not as strong science as you might think. With the way that it, it is presented, it would seem that there's it's super, super factual, but there's a lot of question marks within that. And in fact, one of the big question marks is why is the messaging so strong to just avoid sodium when the research actually shows adding potassium is just as helpful and just as important. So instead of focusing on education on how to enhance your diet, we've ingrained the population to just avoid and fear sodium. But if if individuals with high blood pressure are really focused on potassium, you can see a significant improvement versus just avoiding sodium. So I think part of that is is just re-education and there's just this fear that doesn't need to be there. But most people, again, who aren't eating constant processed food, they have room for sodium because the recommendations, at least government recommendations are what, 24, 2300 milligrams. Mm-hmm. where there are some cl- clients where we're actually recommending 5,000, 6,000 because there's a need. And we do mineral testing with our clients so we can see, but most people have enough stress in their life that they're burning through that sodium. I know you mentioned individuals who are sweating a lot or athletes. Yes, they're getting rid of it via sweat, but individuals are stressed all day sitting at a computer. You're burning your adrenals or you're burning minerals through your adrenals. You might not be sweating, but your brain is working and you still have stress that still burns through minerals. And that doesn't get the same attention as an athlete. Let's take a quick healthy break and a quick breather. If you have a smartwatch, check your stats. If you had a Garmin, you'd be able to check your health stats for up to 11 days on one charge. It's a smartwatch that spends more time on your wrist and less time on charge. So if you're tired of charging your fitness smartwatch every night, get a Garmin. Wearing your smartwatch for longer could give you a more complete picture of your health. A Garmin can help you manage your stress levels with relaxation reminders and short breathing activities when your watch detects that you're stressed. It can monitor your energy levels throughout the day so you can find the best times for activity and rest. And it also has a hydration tracking tool that allows you to log your daily fluid intake. Now you can do more on a single charge. See which Garmin suits you at garmin.com.au and use my code LEANNE10 on any venue SQ2 for a limited time only. Now, let's get back to our show. And how would, I guess, a lack of sodium show up in your body? Like how would you sort of recognize that clinically if you didn't have a blood test or if your blood test showed that you were in range? How would that, I guess, show up as an impact of, say, symptoms like skin health and acne? Well, the most obvious that you might be low in sodium is going to be like lower blood pressure or you're cold all the time. So individuals with cold hands and feet, maybe the cold tip of the nose, 
thyroid type symptoms where you're in a way having low metabolic health. And this is this can overlap with so many minerals. The big ones that I, we often start with are sodium, potassium, magnesium, and calcium. And low amounts of any of these can show up in some of these symptoms like fatigue, trouble staying asleep or trouble falling asleep, digestive issues, especially more on the constipation side, feeling puffy, like you get you hold a lot of water retention in your hands or your cheeks, you just feel puffy, especially if you go out to dinner, maybe you do have more sodium and the next day you're just like, wow, I like puffed up really quickly. That's a big indication that you could probably benefit from more smaller amounts of sodium on a regular basis and potassium so that you don't have that big water retention just for going out to dinner. Those are some of the most common symptoms that would clue someone in. Yeah, interesting. Um, and you mentioned um, food first. So obviously, as dietitians, we're always food first. Mm-hmm. But you do sort of recommend what you call those mineral cocktails in your Instagram. Mm-hmm. When would somebody, I guess, move from focusing on foods that are rich in, say, sodium and magnesium and calcium, and actually go that extra step to actually begin supplementing with some of these minerals? Do you think? Well, the benefit of a mineral mocktail is that you can actually do that with food. You can make a mineral mocktail with coconut water and a pinch of salt, and so in my opinion, that can fit into the food category. And I also think most people can benefit from at least one mineral drink a day because it's just a really good boost in especially potassium, but all of those, as I mentioned. And if some, I mean, you can do product versions, you can do supplement versions of those too. Just depends on what works best for someone, what's most, what they'll be most consistent with, what they might like the best taste-wise. So that that is up to the individual, but there's pros to both. Mm. And when would you be worried about, I guess, an excessive amount? You did mention, you know, renal disease or, or cardiac diseases. You definitely want to tread very lightly um, and obviously be working one-on-one with a, a qualified health practitioner like a dietitian or a doctor. But when would you, I guess, be concerned that sort of too, it, it's too much kind of thing? You know, you mentioned one sort of mineral cocktail a day, some coconut water with a pinch of salt. I imagine most healthy adults would handle that just fine. Mm-hmm. But when would people start sort of taking that overboard and doing more and more and more, particularly when we're talking about from supplements, you can get much higher doses than obviously food first. Yeah. You would have to try really hard to overdo it with the food versions and even the mineral mocktails, the recipes that I have all over my Instagram you would probably have to try to drink like 20 of those a day (laughs) to push an overdose limit because let's look at potassium, for example. The daily recommended amount is around 4,000 milligrams for a woman and one mineral drink is probably around 500 to 700 milligrams. I mean, you'd have to be pretty aggressive and that's just, that's even just with like a potent drink. So most, I mean, I, I don't recommend people go taking potassium pills or sodium pills or something like that unless you're working one-on-one. But the things that are free on my social media and food versions of all these things, you're you're really safe unless you have, like I said, a diagnosed conditions, one of the ones that we mentioned. All right. So moving off, I guess, the mineral topic and into a vitamin, vitamin A is a big one. So I remember before my wedding a few years ago, my dermatologist put me onto like a topical vitamin A cream. It was pretty hardcore. Like I couldn't go in the sun. My skin was like peeling, mm-hmm. but it did the job. Like it looked yeah. fabulous and it sort of like really helped with that skin renewal and turnover. 
Are those more like high strength creams, things like vitamin A, are they things that you, I guess, would recommend or, you know, that the practitioners that you work with really recommend in line with, you know, diet and lifestyle and that sort of thing? Good question. So you're referring to topical retinoid Mm -hmm. is what I'm hearing, correct? Yeah. And we have an esthetician on our team who really, I mean, she's so skilled at knowing what's safe for the skin, especially for different stages of acne. And the use of a retinoid really depends on the individual and kind of where their skin is. I mean, as you mentioned, it can be kind of aggressive and some people are, are a bit more sensitive to them. So depending on the health of someone's skin barrier, which is this, our skin barrier is our, our skin's protection to the outside world. And we want that skin barrier to be nice and hydrated and plump and healthy and glowy and hydrated versus dry, flaky, damaged. And so if someone has more of a damaged skin barrier, they're probably not at the place to really add a a retinoid. And it's also not something to do during pregnancy. I'll just note note that. So there's not a blanket statement I can make here of like, yes, everyone with acne should be on that. It's it's obviously a great tool for anti-aging. As you mentioned, it helps cell turnover. It also can help speed up healing of the skin for like hyperpigmentation and stuff but just depends on the person's skin on whether or not that's a good fit. And you mentioned skin healing. From a nutrition perspective, I imagine gut health has a huge link here. I was going to ask what would be your sort of top recommendations in terms of that natural approach to skin healing. Obviously, we want to start internally to heal the external skin. Is gut health something that you start with with a lot of clients or do you recommend another starting place? Yes, we do. It's one of the areas. So minerals is probably the thing we do right out of the gate. And that actually does impact the gut because we need things like magnesium and potassium and sodium for different stages of of gut motility and ability to digest food. So in a way, the minerals are also playing a role in that. But one of the things we do with most people in even in the supplement category is focus on certain prebiotics and probiotics, Mm -hmm. which have a huge impact on the skin. Interestingly, with the research, it's kind of all over the place. There's not one specific strain of probiotics that are linked to better healing or or better results with acne. Mm. It is there's a lot of variety, but there are some top game players. And so we focus on those with our clients. There's also some interesting research on short-chain fatty acids in acne, mm-hmm. which short-chain fatty acids are fatty acids that we make from gut bacteria. Mm -hmm. So that's again, comes back to focusing on foods that feed the bacteria. And we do to move things along faster with our clients, we do utilize some supplements there because we know it's going to feed those faster. And that, that is a huge, huge factor for a lot of people, especially in that infection type acne. And why I'm such a big fan of things like meal prep for my clients is one of the big short chain fatty acids is butyrate. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing things like cooking and cooling and the resistant type of starch like pasta and potato, um, it's such an easy way to to feed that good bacteria. Yeah, yeah. Butyrate is a huge one. That one is especially big for the gut. Like that's the number one food for the colon. The one, the short chain fatty acid that is most connected to the skin is actually acetate. Because butyrate stays in the gut, but acetate goes into our circulation, so it has a bigger impact on our skin. And there's actually research that shows, compared to individuals without acne, there's about a 30% reduction in acetate levels. 
So that's pretty, that's a significant finding, meaning this is an area that we could study more and learn more about is how do we help individuals with acne improve their acetate levels because that impacts the skin. Wow. I love that. I actually didn't know that. So that was great. I love learning stuff on my own podcast. It's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> and for a cheeky little question for Alice at home thinking, oh, like my, my ears are pricked up. That's interesting. Give me a food example of what might be high um, in acetate. Well, it's actually similar foods that are going to feed butyrate. Mm. So it's resistant starches, it's prebiotic foods, it's vegetables and fruits and fiber-rich foods. There's not one specific food that's high in acetate because we actually have to make the acetate with bacteria. So it comes back to fiber, prebiotic foods, and really building that microbiome in the gut with a variety of of foods and bacteria. I love that. Yeah. So it comes back to good quality nutrition overall. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. And then, oh, I actually had a cheeky question for you, I must say. And this is a personal question. I don't think we're going to find much research. Well, there probably is some research and science in this, but it's really around popping pimples. So as a skin expert, what's your stance? Do you pop or do you not? Because I must admit, oh, if I see a big pimple on my skin, I can't help myself. And I'm like, oh, I have to get rid of it. I know I shouldn't. I know everybody says don't, but I have to pop it. It is bad as what they say. I know every dermatologist and skin expert out there is like, don't touch it. Don't squeeze it. What's your stance on it? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to rely on what our esthetician teaches because I trust her as the expert there, but it is best not to touch it. And she actually recommends the pimple popping patches, partly because it will help bring it to the surface. In, and in that, at that time, you can safely extract. But if it's not there yet, you're just going to create more inflammation and possibly extend the healing process by aggravating the skin. So the pimple patches can just keep your hands off of it because it adds a layer there where you can't touch it. Yeah, nice. And you can just get them off what, like Amazon or something? Yeah, yep. And there's not one specific brand, so they're pretty easy to find. Amazing, all right. Because I think I did see them. We've got a big um, beauty brand uh, called Mecca here in Australia and it's very popular and I did see them in Mecca the other day and I thought, oh, aren't they interesting? <laughs> I wonder if they'll work. <laughs> they do help bring it to a head faster so that you can safely extract. Love it. All right. And then just before we wrap up, Robin, I'd love to know your top, let's say two to three nutrition or lifestyle tips that our listeners can implement, even if they're busy, even if they're stressed out, even if they're like, you know what, I'm not ready to go the full hog and go see a, a you know, a practitioner one-on-one, but I would like to just have one or two small areas I can start with to improve our skin health, what it's going to be the biggest sort of one, two, three top hitters that we can, you know, any busy person can try to implement on a day-to-day basis. The number one for sure is mineral mocktails. And this is something that's so easy to do, which is why I think it's created such a wave on Instagram because it is easy and the wins can be pretty quick, like within a couple of days. And there's so many testimonials on my Instagram from that, but it's so easy to do. And it makes such a big difference in how your cells use energy and make energy, which yes, can impact the skin, but it just also impacts how you feel and how you sleep, which you know, that carries over to everything. So that would be my number one. And then if we're specifically talking skin, I, I think number two lifestyle wise would be sleep. Mm -hmm. We just got to help our nervous system and we have to be repairing during sleep. So those would be the big, my top two for sure. Yeah. I love that. And just quickly on the mineral mocktails, anyone that it's not safe for, like we mentioned with the retinoids, definitely not in pregnancy, would it be okay for someone who was pregnant or breastfeeding to be having these mineral mocktails? Definitely the food variety, not the supplements like we mentioned. Oh yes, absolutely. In fact, 
when pregnant, you need more minerals. I mean, we know that just, I mean, even government regulations say Mm. your needs of every nutrient go up when pregnant and even more so when nursing. Mm -hmm. But if you're, even if you're, if you're a first mom, definitely, if you have kiddos already, you're a second or third or fourth time mom, there's a lot of repletion needed each pregnancy. So yes, we find our moms do so well during pregnancy with minerals, but there's just also a really deep need for repletion there. Mm, And what's your favorite pregnancy mineral mocktail? Well, I would have to say Ravy is my fave. It's also our product. So it's a a shameless plug there, but Ravy with a pinch of salt is delicious. So there's a specific brand or specific flavor, ginger turmeric, which I know can sound quite earthy, but if you add a little bit of cream either a dairy or a non-dairy if needed with ginger turmeric. It makes like this cream sickle deliciousness. That's my fave. <laughs> Interesting. I'm thinking I'm getting sort of like pina colada vibes if you add a little bit of coconut water or something as well. We have another one with the pineapple flavor and that is pina colada vibes for sure. Oh, nice. It's summer here. You guys are in winter, but it's summer here. So that would be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, before we wrap up, Robin, where can our listeners find you? Where can they follow you online? If they wanted to book in for a consultation with you or your team, do you take international clients? Um, let us know your details. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram at nutrition by Robin. That's Robin with the Y. And then our acne program and most of our acne content is at the clear skin lab that's on instagram too and we also have a website we have a program specifically for helping people address the root cause of acne and for that program we do take international clients so that would probably be a great resource if you're specifically looking for skin support and actually we have an acne type quiz that i'll make sure i get you so you can link that yeah amazing i'm gonna put all of that into the show notes awesome wonderful thank you so much for joining us today again we really appreciate your time i just love that i can interview experts all over the world even though you're on you know practically the other side of the world to me it's really important to really share that sort of evidence-based knowledge in your experience working with probably what thousands of skin health clients on their journeys it's really important to be able to share that with people all over the world that potentially don't have access to such experts as yourself so we really do appreciate your time and thank you today thank you i'm glad you gave me a space to share so i appreciate you too 